Welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series, where PwC tax professionals share insights on today's key transfer pricing developments. Our podcast today will focus on the transfer pricing implications of the final and proposed Base Erosion and Anti-Avoidance Tax, or BEAT regulations, published in December of 2019. My name is Dana Hart, and joining me today, I have Paige Hill. Paige is our U.S. Transfer Pricing Leader. I also have Kartike Singh. Kartike is a partner in our national tax practice based in Washington, D.C. And I have Lily Kazemi, a director with our national tax practice, also based in Washington, D.C. Lily will be our moderator for today's podcast. So, Lily, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you, Dana. Paige, can you start by addressing the highlights of the final and proposed regulations? Also, as a reminder to our audience, what is the general impact of BEAT? Thanks, Lily. So, just as a reminder, the BEAT tax is essentially minimum tax calculated on a base of the taxpayer's income without reference to uh, base eroding payments. And a base eroding payment is a payment to a non-U.S. related party that results in a deduction in the U.S. So, you know, just to come to the highlights uh, of the regs, and I, I think that we will um, touch on these, you know, a little more detail as we continue in this podcast. You know, the regs were interesting to people in as much as what they provided, which are generally considered to be favorable positions, as much as they left certain things out and were silent and, and did not make changes requested. So, one of the provisions that is considered quite favorable is the original proposed regs had had a, a inclusion of a lot of non-recognition transactions uh, as a beat payment. And the final regs uh, dropped generally that, that inclusion and instead added an anti-abuse provision. Um, so I think that provides a lot of clarity and examples there are very helpful. Um, one of the things that, that many taxpayers had asked for um, another provision was, would be to have an exclusion uh, from beat for um, transactions that were included in subpart F or, or guilty. And that was not granted. So um, that was an area where there were many requests. And, and we do see that exception in certain other areas of the uh, tax law. From a transfer pricing perspective, there was really no change to um, how the final regulations um, determined SCM exception payments. And that was an area where there had been many requests for an exclusion of types of payments such as cost of services to be SCM eligible as being analogous to cost of goods, which is not a B payment. Um, but there was uh, no exception for that. So um, you know, that was something that, again, they, they were uh, true to the original drafting um, and uh, true to the original definition of SCM in the transfer pricing regulations. And then also released were proposed regulations, which, again, included some, some favorable provisions, most notably that um, there's an ability for taxpayers to uh, waive certain deductions that would normally give rise to a, um, a beat payment. So it allows taxpayers to manage around their beat threshold. Thank you, Paige, for that helpful overview. Over to you, Cardike. The treatment of lost transactions also changed in the final regulation. Can you explain these changes? Sure. So I'll start with the uh, statutory definition of the base erosion payment concept that Paige mentioned. And the statutory definition basically says that a base erosion payment is any amount paid or accrued by a taxpayer 
to a foreign person that is a related party and with respect to which uh, a deduction is allowable. So when you go back to the 2018 proposed regs, uh, the regs adopted a fairly broad interpretation of this definition. And in the context of any amount paid or accrued, the regs, the proposed regs said that this covers um, any form of consideration, such as things like cash, uh, property, assumption of a liability, et cetera. And as such, a payment to a foreign related party includes uh, a recognized loss, a loss uh, that, that is incurred by a taxpayer when it transfers property to a uh, foreign-related party. Now, this aspect of the definition attracted a lot of comments, and, and the comments from taxpayers essentially requested Treasury to adopt a, a, a narrow definition of, of a base erosion payment. And they pointed to the fact that if the, the statutory definition required two conditions to be met for a, um, you know, for a transaction or a payment to be characterized as a base erosion payment. First, an amount had to be paid or accrued by a taxpayer to a foreign uh, related party. And second, a deduction must be allowable with respect to that amount. And so the comment said that when you look at a transfer of a property, let's say by a U.S. taxpayer to a foreign related party for cash, uh, it is not necessarily true that there is a payment or accrual taking place by the U.S. taxpayer when uh, the U.S. taxpayer is receiving a cash payment for the transfer of property. Therefore, it's not really making a payment. And second, even if a payment is there, um, the amount of the loss and the deduction attributable to that built-in loss is not with respect to the payment. It is, in fact, it, it stems from the taxpayer's basis in that property. And so what you find in the, in, in the final regulations is uh, an interpretation that is actually responsive to these comments. Uh, and the final regulations say that a loss realized from a transfer of a property to a foreign related party is not by itself a base erosion payment. And, and to the extent that the transfer of a built-in loss property results in a deduction, in a deductible payment for the taxpayer uh, that is treated as a base erosion payment, the amount of that base erosion payment is limited to the fair market value of the property. So in a nutshell, a fairly significant rollback in terms of uh, the broad interpretation of the base erosion payment that was adopted in the 2018 proposed regulations. Thank you, Carter Kay. Speaking of rollback, the final regs reversed the position of the 2018 proposed regulations regarding Section 15 relief. Can you provide some insight on what this reversal means? Yeah, so um, if, if I start with Section 15, Section 15 deals with uh, situations where you have a new uh, tax rate uh, or, or a revised tax rate where the effective date of that, that, that revised tax rate falls within uh, a taxpayer's tax year. And Section 15 says that in order to figure out the tax liability for the tax year, when you have the tax rate change coming into play um, during the tax year, you approach it by calculating two sets of tentative taxes for the taxpayer. Uh, the first set of ten tentative taxes you'll calculate at the old rate and then another set of tentative taxes you'll calculate uh, for the new rate. And then the final tax liability is gonna be a weighted average of those two tentative taxes uh, where the weights are the proportion of the days in a year 
before and after the effective date of um, uh, the tax rate change. Now, if you recall, the uh, applicable rates for the beat changed from 5% to 10% to 12.5%. Uh, 5% being in effect for calendar year 2018, 10% being in effect from calendar year 2019 through 2025, and then 12.5% um, um, being in effect from calendar year 2026 onwards. So in applying section 15, the proposed reg said that um, if, and this is with respect to fiscal year taxpayers, so uh, uh, taxpayers that don't adopt the calendar year, and therefore these effective dates falling in between the tax year for the taxpayer. And the proposed reg said, uh, apply the section 15 uh, guidance or the section 15 framework in applying these uh, beat rates as follows, where um, for taxpayers whose tax year contains or includes January 1, 2018, the applicable beat rate would be 5%. For, um, um, for tax years including January 1, 2019, the applicable rate would be a blended rate between 5 and 10%, and this is where that, you know, the tentative tax calculation that I mentioned for Section 15 comes into play. And then for taxpayers whose tax year includes January 1, 2026, the effective beat rate would be a blended rate between 10 and 12.5%. And the final regulations pretty much stick with the applicable rates for the first and last categories, i.e. a 5% rate for tax years including January 1, 2018, and a blended rate between 10 and 12.5% for tax years, including uh, January 1, 2026. But for tax years, including January 1, 2019, the final reg changed the applicable rate for tax years that include January 1, 2019. And instead of a, a blended rate between 5 and 10% that the proposed regs had, uh, the final regs adopt a simple 5% rate. Thank you, Carter K. Paige, the service cost method exception, which you mentioned earlier, didn't substantively change from the proposed regulations. However, there were minor clarifications on what is required to maintain in the taxpayer's books and records in order to qualify. What should companies keep in mind with regard to the SCM exception? Thanks, Lily. The SCM exception is, is very important for taxpayers to understand and to analyze. It remains one of the most significant um, exceptions and opportunities for taxpayers to you know, avail themselves of an exception under B. Um, that said, it's you know, fairly nuanced and requires a, a good amount of um, you know, rigor in terms of analyzing this. So one of the things that change um, is that the record keeping requirements require taxpayers to show how they're allocating costs between those that might be SCM eligible exceptions and those that, that would not be. And, and I think that you know, we would expect a fair amount of detail in terms of you know, when they start to get audited, um, that, that type of calculation. Um, and previously, the, in the proposed regs, the uh, regs had made reference to the 482 books and records uh, documentation requirements under the SCM. Um, but those have now uh, been removed, and the final regs provide their own set of documentation requirements. And taxpayers can find that under 59 Cap A 3B3IC. 
Um, and so it's worth evaluating that and looking at the, those requirements. And, and I think the most important thing to note is that the information that is required under, under the beat reg is mandatory um, for taxpayers to maintain to the degree that they are um, availing themselves of an SCM exception for a potential beat payment. Thank you, Paige. Carter Kay, coming back to you, what do the regulations clarify or rather not clarify on netting and cost sharing? Yeah, so I think um, they, I would say they reaffirmed the position in the, um, you know, the 2018 proposed regulations. And this is, again, an issue really where, um, you know, Treasury received a lot of comments as part of, you know, the treatment, you know, whether base erosion payments should be calculated on a net basis or a gross basis, together with comments around, you know, intermediary payments, third-party payments, and so on and so forth, pass-through costs, et cetera. But, with regard to netting, the, the position in the 2018 proposed regulations was that base erosion payments in general uh, have to be determined on a gross basis. The, the, the only exception that was specifically allowed or included or covered by the proposed regs was in the context of mark-to-market transactions. But more generally, the proposed regs said that uh, otherwise there could be exceptions where the normal tax treatment as required on, in other sections of the code or regulations required the payments to be determined on a net basis. But otherwise, uh, the proposed regulation said that determining the base erosion payments on a gross basis was what was consistent with the general uh, statutory framework of the provision. So like I said, th there were a lot of comments received from taxpayers asking Treasury to essentially revisit uh, this aspect. And in, as justification for these comments, you know, the comments cited different sections of the code or regulations and saying that netting is specifically uh, either permitted or required as part of these different code sections or regulations. And they cited things like 163J, Section 250, and even the aggregation rules of uh, Section 482. Uh, now, very briefly, basically, Treasury's response was that, like I said, it reaffirmed the 2018 position and said that the very framework of the provision actually requires the base erosion payments to be determined on a gross basis. And that the only exceptions were uh, what, what in the final regulations is called the beat netting rule, which again is only in the context of mark to market uh, transactions, or more generally, where other sections of the code or regulation specifically are determinative in terms of how payments should be determined on a net basis. So it did not go into detail. It did not really accommodate these comments and, and essentially reaffirm the position. And, and interestingly, you know, from a transfer pricing perspective, it responded to the comments that uh, relied on the aggregation rules of 482 and saying that those rules uh, are not determinative of the normal treatment or the character of a payment or whether it's gross or net it has more to do with the arm's length pricing of such payments. So in short, the, the final regulations pretty much reaffirmed the, the position that, that Treasury took in the, in the proposed regulations. Thank you, Carter Kay. Paige, you mentioned the new proposed BEAT regulations earlier. Can you give some more detail on what they provide? Uh, sure, Lily. There are basically three things that are covered in the proposed uh, regulations that were issued. The first is some, some fairly detailed uh, rules that are applicable to partnerships and, and how transactions flowing through partnerships are treated for beat purposes. 
Um, the second area is around additional guidance for companies on determining what constitutes an aggregate group. Um, and I think the most you know, sort of interesting uh, provision, as I mentioned earlier, is that there's a, some regs that would allow a taxpayer to make an election to waive deductions for purposes of calculating the base erosion percentage. In other words, their threshold of cumulative beat payments on which you know, the beat tax would then be applicable. And you can make this election on an annual basis. Um, it's not binding for you know, previous or subsequent years. So um, it does seem quite flexible in terms of your ability to, to forego this deduction. It, it would allow companies to manage around that beat threshold um, to the degree that that would be a better result for them in terms of the tax paid versus taking the deduction and paying the incremental beat tax. And yeah, it's obviously something that would have to be determined by, you know, by a taxpayer on an annual basis, which is, you know, a, a better tax result. And the regs are, are favorable in that, you know, if you do, for example, like to waive a deduction, it would still for 42 purposes in terms of evaluating the arms like nature of the results of your transactions be taken into account. Thank you, Paige. So shifting into some practical applications, Paige, what are the key takeaways for companies now that these rules are in play? Well, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, I think most people view the changes that were made from the proposed regs as being generally favorable. And of course, then the proposed regulations, you know, allowing companies to waive deductions is clearly something that could be favorable. And, and you would need to model that out, you know, on an individual case-by-case -case basis to understand the impact of doing so. You know, I think that the um, lack of favorable treatment around subpart F and no expansion of the SCM, um, you know, were sort of disappointments to many people. But I think, you know, it, it is important to the degree you are availing yourself of an SCM exception that you are cognizant of the record-keeping requirements and that you're taking uh, note of that. And then I think, you know, certainly the, the lack of favorable treatment around netting is, is another area. And so I think, you know, there's probably some planning opportunities to think about around that. Thank you, Paige. Carter Kay, picking up from Paige's comments, how have the final and proposed regulations affected so far what companies see as short and long-term solutions? What are companies considering at this point? Yeah, so I, I think like you said, Lily, I mean, there are certain short-term measures or, you know, you can think of them as short-term and long-term or um, more generally as structural and non-structural. And what I mean by that is solutions that involve, you know, changes in the, maybe in the operating model or at least in the, the company uh, structure, which I'll call structural solutions and therefore maybe a little more disruptive to other solutions which are not as disruptive. It is more about interpretation and ensuring that the, um, the statutory and regulatory construct is being applied as intended. And you have now at least two years worth of experience where we've been able to distill you know, the true impact of this provision. And we therefore have, and taxpayers have, a toolkit to access. And, and the toolkit is a, is a very diverse one in the sense that, you know, you'll, you usually not find one overarching solution that addresses all beat-related issues. And typically, you may have to rely on more than one, you know, element from that toolkit. And moving from the least disruptive to, the, to somewhat more disruptive, the more structural solutions, I think among the least disruptive and the most compelling and powerful one continues to be the application of the SCM exception, as Paige had mentioned. I think it is an extremely powerful construct, especially given the statutory construct that alleviated and, and did away with the whole business judgment rule when applying it in the beat context. So that remains 
an extremely viable and potentially uh, useful avenue. Uh, you continue to have application of uh, agency and conduit doctrines dictated by general tax principles and authorities. And then beyond that, you start getting into what I was calling some of the more structural solutions, which is about potentially changing the intercompany arrangements. So, for example, in, um, you know, where you have the U.S. as a clearinghouse for a global services agreement, taking the U.S. out of the equation there so that, you know, you're not being uh, hurt by the gross treatment uh, or the gross calculation of base erosion payments. Uh, considering cost-sharing agreements and availing of netting that is permitted in the regulatory construct of cost-sharing um, and, and avoid uh, the gross treatment of, let's say, contract R&D service payments and, and the like. Uh, and that toolkit has been known now, um, and, it, and it exists. And then the addition to that is, as Paid mentioned, this potential of, you know, and I would consider this an avenue of last resort, where you voluntarily forego uh, a deduction and thereby avoid the, you know, the, the inherent cliff effect of, of this B provision. Hey, Chill and Carter K. Singh, thank you for your transfer pricing insights into the BEAT regulations. Back to you, Dana. Thank you, Lily, for moderating today's podcast. I'd also like to thank Paige and Carter K. for sharing their insights. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the speakers. You can find their contact information in the description of this episode on our TP Talk site at www.pwc.com forward slash TP Talks. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.